0: Welcome to Eurocron, a podcast about a wide variety of topics, including people, restaurants, travel, or wherever we can find a good story, and in some cases, maybe even create one. So let's get
1: right to our next story. Ernane Perla started his career as a development executive at Lionsgate Entertainment. A two-time Blacklist writer, he has the feature film Blink in development with Olivier Megaton, directing and Charles Roven producing. Revelation with Skybound Entertainment and the psychological thriller
0: Schizophrenic.
1: He also co-wrote Centuria for Bloomhouse Pictures based on an idea from Jennifer Lopez, And adapted Warren Adler's book, book, Torture Man, which is currently in development. He is currently working with director Dion Taylor, who also directed Black and Blue, on an original horror film. As a producer, Ernani produced the films Ghost Team One, Eden, and Public Disturbance, as well as the upcoming horror thriller, Don't Fear.
2: Yeah, I'll just EP on that. So it's the first
1: three words. Oh, EP. Okay, thank thank you for correcting. Arnani was born in El Salvador and grew up in Houston, Texas. He attended Washington University in St. Louis. Arnani, welcome to Uricron. It is great to have you on. I got to say, I love movies. I love film. Uh, We talked a little bit before uh, we hit record here, and I told you a little bit about my background. So uh, very excited to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us. No, you kidding me? Yeah. Honored to, you know, be talking. To you, <laughs> well, great, um, you. There's a lot to unpack there in the bio. Uh, where is a good place to start your extraordinary
2: story? Yeah, place Houston, where you are. Because frankly, it, you know, I think I got the bug. I would say I was, I was just a big film person, and uh, anybody who grew up in Houston knows that he, the dollar theaters are the best uh, air conditioned place. Uh, where I used to escape to, you know, in in the '90s and early 2000s, and got the bug. Stayed with me throughout college. I didn't study film, um, and 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 frankly, that's when I really was just trying to find a way to break into it from St. Louis, right? Um, and I, I think a lot of any of your listeners, I'm sure know the way I feel because I I've been there.
1: Yeah. So. You didn't study anything in college, but you had an interest... No,
2: no, I I studied economics in German. I didn't study film in college.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, to clarify, you didn't study anything related to film. So you're in the middle of the country, probably uh, farthest away from any of the two biggest entertainment uh, industries. Uh, You know, you got New York, of course, L.A., Atlanta, Louisiana. What what were you thinking? Uh, How... What were you thinking in terms of how do I get started? And honestly,
2: but by then my life revolved around this fantasy. I was a, it was young, but I was in nineteen, twenty. this fantasy that you would win the Nichols fellowship or the Chesterfield and, and get you know, signed by an agent because that, that was how you did it back then. Mm. Um, and I did not do any of those things, you know, um, even though I would apply every year, it would, eh, I didn't climb far enough. Um, so then you, there were services like ScriptShark, if you remember that, well, that would, you pay for coverage and if you got good enough coverage, they might link you up with a manager. So that's what kept turning my wheels back in the day. And, you know, eventually one of those service did get me a manager, but it was one side that was already out here.
1: Yeah. You know? So when you say back in the day, what circa? Like
2: 2000, 2000, okay.
1: 2001. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah uh and for me that's not too long ago <laughs> but i'm almost Same i'm almost 60 years old so you know it's oh, the, the 2000s it looks amazing oh thank you but yeah the 2000s don't seem so long ago but uh yeah so um i've always been curious uh, especially as a writer um how how do you define the difference between an agent and a manager
2: i think in a the purest sense a manager doesn't procure work. The agent is the one who kind of, who, uh, you know, technically is is allowed to get you work. So I think a good agent manager relationship is one is most, mostly focused on getting the meetings. And then the manager is the one who helps you develop the project so that you knock that meeting out of the park or gives you notes so that when you take the spec screenplay out, the agent is usually the one who sells it. The manager is the one who helps you get it there, but it doesn't really work that way, to be honest. In, in practice, a manager can do all those things, and when you're starting out, usually you start with a manager. Um, and there's people who just do it the other way around, right? An agent does give notes and help you develop things, so they're all, they're almost interchangeable, to be totally honest. With the key distinct difference being, uh, it's uh, most bigger agents focus a lot more on volume and getting work than they do on developing and nurturing and giving notes and things like that.
1: Does that, does that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. Uh, that's interesting too, because I, I didn't really ever think of that as being interchangeable, but the way you describe it, I can certainly see how it is. And does the pace, is the pace structure different? Cause I've always thought, you know, I'm just, I've never had an agent. Uh, well, well no, that's not you. totally. That's not as an actor, I did, I guess. But uh, I know it was commission based. So, how does the pay structure work for for those two positions?
2: Well, uh, on, on paper, uh, agents ten percent. A manager can be fifteen percent. And the other key distinct difference is that a manager can produce. Mm-hmm. A manager's legally allowed to produce. An agent is is not. You know. Um, so. Yeah, ten percent for the agent, fifteen for the manager, a lawyer gets five. But in practice, if you have all three, that's you know that's thirty percent. So uh, what they actually end up doing is ten, ten, and five. Usually, if you have both, you end up doing ten, ten, and five for the most part. Yeah.
1: Or
2: five for the for the lawyer.
1: Yeah, and uh, a lot of times when I. Uh, do these podcasts, I don't want, ever want to assume that our listeners know uh, everything, even something as simple as as the term producer or the title producer. So can you talk a little bit about what a producer is and what that means exactly as opposed to maybe an executive producer, associate producer, all these titles that we see in the film credits?
2: Yeah, well, I'll tell you, you can ask producers what they do and and they'll tell you you know, there's 20 ways you can answer that question. Yeah. But what it comes down to ultimately is you, you bring an element that is required to get the movie made, right? That's either the IP, the intellectual property based on a book. you got the rest of the book. You bring the script, right? You develop something with a writer and you bring the script that you need to. You are have a relationship with a piece of talent, director, writer. You bring that element. Um, but a, it's usually those are the three key pieces and the fourth one the big one is money right those are the things you need to do, and uh, that's where executive producer comes in if you're if kind of, kind of you help with the money and not the other stuff it's understood that that's usually an EP the other three tend to be producers you know IP uh, including screenplay or talent um, and it's kind of I'd say producers producer is maybe considered a little bit more hands-on, a little bit more involved. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much it.
1: Yeah. Okay. So we've kind of laid the groundwork of, of some of the definitions and uh, the, the positions in, in filmmaking, uh, writers, producers, uh, haven't gotten to actors and directors yet, but let's just um, talk about those positions and sure. Um, that's where your experience is. And let's, let's go back to St. Louis and, Tell tell us your story. You got out of college. You've got this this interest in film. What happened after that? Because you you made it all the way to L.A. I mean, and I mean, I mean, to make it to L.A.,
2: you just have to buy a plane ticket and, and go there. Yeah, it's not very difficult to. Um, as a matter of fact, I'll tell you point blank. I moved out here in two thousand two after I had interned for a year, uh, which helped me get in the mailroom. And a lot of people just start in the mailroom, no matter what you want to do a mailroom and a mailroom meaning, a talent agency. Um, and my journey was, I've never had issues with the work ethic. I probably had issues with the talent, to be honest. I was one of those guys that moved out here with a stack of scripts that I had written in two months or one month apiece while in school because you think, oh, now I have one, now I'm going to sell it. And then you get out here and you very quickly realize it's a different level. Um, and then you spend the next 15 years, getting to that level. Uh, and then you start, you know, ideally in a perfect world, get representation, start getting hired and start doing all those things. But I, and I say this with a grain of salt because I I think if you work really hard, you should do it in five to 10 years. It took me 15, which I think was work ethic over innate talent. Um, which I, I always tell people is okay because you can compensate and you can learn, uh, you can learn how the system works and over time make up for the fact that maybe, you know, it wasn't, you weren't that great to begin with. So I, but in between, by the way, the thing I forgot is um, like, I, I I was a development exec for a while. Uh, and I actually really liked that quite a bit because it's, you know, it's like a, you want to be a basketball player and, and you, you, you can coach. It's, it was a great job, and I pursued that for a little while because I enjoyed it, and frankly, I wasn't there yet as a, as a writer. Um, and that, I think, extended the period of time that uh, you know, I was producing. So 15 years later, I finally started to make a living.
1: Yeah, well, that's, that's a lot of tenacity. And a development executive, what is that exactly?
2: Uh, so after I was an assistant at the mailroom, I th- therefore became an assistant, at at a a really good studio called uh, Lionsgate, more of an independent studio in the day. They were known for Saw. At the time, it was Saw. It was Tyler Perry. Then later, uh, you know, the Hunger Games took them to a different level. But people know Lionsgate. And I was, i take you know, an assistant writing at night. But the great thing about being a development assistant is that uh, development execs pretty much hire writers for projects. That, that's what they do. They hire, they do notes, they get the script to a certain point and then they attach the talent. But I think, you know, p- people like myself tend to like those jobs because you, you should be reading every script that's out there. If you want to improve, you know, you, you become like a little screenwriting running nerd. It's like, oh, who, who's on the blacklist? Yet? We had things called tracking boards back then. And, and people used to exchange scripts and information of who was buying what. There was this little subculture, a little community of assistants, you know, uh, who were, frankly, into this world. Um, and that's usually the trajectory where a lot of development executives begin. And I and I was in, in that world and very much liked it. And I always describe the people as like, woman of your dreams, woman who makes you happy. Woman of your dreams, woman who makes you happy. I put, this is actually a crate. And if you get to the higher levels, it's a great life to be an exec. I, you know, I uh, ended up, pursuing this, but, um, it's actually a, it's, it's a cool little life. Um, and if I had known that that existed before I became a screenwriter, that might've been the goal, but I didn't. So I had already kind of, uh, put my head in the other basket.
1: So I'm one thing you'll have to learn about me. I'm kind of curious about sort of uh, seemingly trivial stuff (laughs) like the mailroom. You 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 literally worked in a mailroom, right? That's not a figure of speech. As an intern?
2: No, no, no. I mean, back then uh, we used to deliver mail to, to people. Don't don't forget. Like it wasn't that long ago where, if, you know, what you we used to do is is take physical headshots to resumes and and send them out to casting directors. Now now everything is online, right? We used to sure. physically make copies of screenplays and they would get couriered out to people. Um, so, yeah, it was physical mail delivery. Nowadays, uh, I haven't been in the mail room for, for a while, but I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not, they're probably still doing physical mail. They're not making strip copies. Nobody does that. Nobody is making, but they still exist. And they're still called mail rooms. And they, it is where everybody starts. And what I love about Hollywood is that whether you are changing careers or you're fresh out of college, you start on the mail room, you know? Uh, it's a great equalizer. Whether you went to Princeton or whether you just, barely graduated high school, you start in the mail. Or, or you start as an assistant, you know?
1: Wait, was this a paid internship?
2: Well, no, no. This was a job. It was a full-time job. Oh,
1: was a, okay. All right. I, yeah. I I, no, I, was... I did
2: an internship that was unpaid. Oh, okay. But it helped me get the job.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And so you mentioned the blacklist. Tell us about the blacklist. What is the blacklist?
2: So the blacklist pretty much just replaced, in my opinion, what used to be the Nickel Fellowship still around, but it's not what it used to be. The Chesterfield is still around. The Disney Fellowship is there's still, but uh, a lot of these services, like the Script Shark, Script Shadow, um, have, in my opinion, been subsumed by the Blacklist. The Blacklist ended up just becoming. It started off as part of a tracking board where executives used to put all their favorite scripts, um, and then it became, I think, a signifier, an extra filter. For people to get to agents and managers, it's so it's yeah that's what it is.
1: When you moved to LA, um, been in Houston, St. Louis, what what was that like? Your first few weeks, what what were you feeling from LA? Was it what you imagined?
2: Well, I had interned uh, the summer before, mm-hmm. um, and, and that that helped you very much use into it because. You know, I met the people who I was roommates with. And then there the male roommates, a bunch of people your age who just graduated college, who all are trying to do the same thing you are. That's where you meet your core group of friends to do this, day. they're probably still friends. Ended up living with some of them later on. And uh, so to answer the question, not really, because it's kind of what I expected. And two, had interned and lived uh, at, like at USC for a summer, and that kind of eased me in.
1: So I'm, I'm just an ordinary guy with an interest in film and I want, I've got an idea for a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to write a screenplay, but I've, I've looked at some online and I kind of thought, well, you know, it's dialogue, there's some scenes there, I kind of get an idea, but I, had, I don't have a clue. But I have an idea for a movie and I like writing, okay what what would be your recommendation to me? What what are some steps that I should take and, and what should my expectations be?
2: Honestly, this is where I'm gonna sound like a cliche. I think you should just dive in and do it. If you have a screenplay and access the screenwriting software, which you can get for free if you want to, right? Um, and you, I, I would suggest don't do the whole film school thing, uh, read, read the script think you can do it and whether it's true or not just do it because when you do it 10 times eventually you start to figure it out but read as many scripts as possible and then try to imitate that's it right there's a that's the old adage first you imitate and you imitate to perfection and that's where i think you know you can become a working writer imitate other working writers and just do it as well as they do it or try to do it better um and that's a matter of taking in, taking in the things you want to imitate until you can get it perfectly. Right. That, that would be my recommendation. And what I think my one benefit was that a complicated for laptop, I always read everything. I still read it. I still read every script. So read enough to where you feel I can do this and then just try to do it.
1: Mm. Would you recommend, um, even though maybe not school so much, but uh any books or anything just to kind of understand Yes, yeah, yeah no, those books yeah. do
2: help. They definitely help. And and it's a good way to outline things before you dive in to give you some some structure or organization. Mm. But the stuff that the books can't teach is the stuff that is going to make you a working writer. Mm. And and those things uh a book's not going to, you're going to get by repetition, by by reading and imitating and, and trying and think, seeing what the pattern is, all this stuff, and then we see, try to do it better.
1: Yeah. And,
2: and that's just, that's a matter of putting in the, that's a cliche, putting in those 10,000 hours.
1: Describe what it was like the first time you saw the screenplay.
2: Well, it, it's funny. I, I, I will say, I think there's this, this, uh, Fantasy that was at least sold in my day—that you either sell a screenplay for a million dollars, suddenly everybody's hiring you, or you're working at Starbucks. And that is—at <laughs> least—that was not my experience, nor has it <laughs> been the experience of of most of my working writer friends. I didn't sell a screenplay; I optioned a screenplay. Mm. You know, um, uh, actually, you know, in two thousand six, I I did sell a screenplay to MGM Direct to Video, but I was an assistant back then, and it was enough to, I went and I bought a car the next day, right? I bought a Prius cash and you ended up being, it was dumb, but ended up being a good, because it it wasn't enough to leave your job. So it wasn't like, you know, I'm celebrating. My life is different now. When I started to actually make a living was when I optioned a screenplay. And then the next year I optioned another screenplay. They both uh, made the Blacklist. Then I optioned, uh, sold another screenplay that also made the Blacklist as a producer. and that, was, that allowed me to get hired for my first writing job that I was paid to do. So it, it, by the way, these are 10000 uh, are $10, $20,000 options. These aren't things that you're gonna, are gonna change your life overnight. So it was very much, and and frankly, I haven't sold a screenplay to a big studio yet. That's the goal because that's where I wanna work. That's, you know, so it's ongoing, uh, but I, I wouldn't say I've had that so the screenplay things change and i don't think it really works that way
1: what does it mean to option a screenplay
2: uh, so an option is uh, i'm giving you this uh, an amount of money so i can i can control it for this amount of time that's right buying is like you buy a car it's yours yeah and most option agreements do have a purchase price in there right mm. so when people say The script sold for mid-six figures. That's what we mean It sold for mid-six figures or six or anything. It means they optioned it for whatever they optioned it for, and the purchase price is that. But most production companies, I think even studios nowadays, they're not buying scripts uh, if they can option them. Mm. They buy them when they have no choice but to buy. Usually things are optioned. They try to get put together, and then you buy them once you're ready to make it. We'll be right back.
0: Episode is sponsored by Pitney Properties. Pitney Properties provides real estate services to buyers and sellers located in and around the Houston area. Having been raised in Texas, LeBon Pitney is incredibly well versed in the area's housing market and always manages to find her clients those hidden gems that other agents tend to overlook. Lavon's relentless style and integrity allow her to hold client satisfaction at her highest priority. She works hard to make the entire home buying and selling experience as, as productive and enjoyable as possible. Whether her clients are first-time buyers or seasoned investors, Lavon works tirelessly to accommodate their needs and exceed their expectations. To learn more about Lavon's real estate services, please don't hesitate to call her today at 713-805. Eight eight seven one. That's seven one three, eight zero five, eight eight seven one. Or contact the bond at sold at pitmanproperties.com.
1: genres that you prefer to write screenplays? No,
2: absolutely. I'm, I'm, I think I, I'm known for anything. It's. I'm a psychological thriller writer, mm. you
1: know? Yeah, my favorite kind of movies, too. Yeah,
2: yeah same, same here.
1: <laughs> my wife and I love, love those. Um, so what, in, in reading screenplays, as you were coming up in, in the business, what were you what were some of your screenplays, some of your favorite screenplays that kind of got your attention where you said, man, I want to write one like that, or there's, there's a lot there that
2: I want to take into my writing. It's not even divided by It's You look at writers whose careers you admire, who you think are great Mm. writers. uh, And then you read their screenplays. And a lot of those haven't been made. You haven't even heard of them. It's the thing that maybe they sold that's been sitting in development hell. But, um, I, I do. I strongly, strongly believe this. If there's a writer you admire who's been around for ten years, and you read their ten screenplays, and then you read another guy who, who you've admired who's been around for fifteen years, you read five of their screenplays, you will see the difference between a great spec screenplay that sold, and then maybe there was no career had after that, right? Uh, yeah. So it's it's about reading. The writers who you want to be like more than I think individual scripts.
1: Yeah, and w- what stands out to you in a good good screenplay is it more on the uh, more of the dialogue? Is it the the scenes? Is it just the overall story? Maybe twists in the plot. W- what are some things that stand out to you that you consider to be good screenplays?
2: You know, man, the onus is always I think on the writer to hold your attention and make you want to turn the page. And that happens with a combination of all the things you just said, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't happen, it's, you have to know how to do that within the scene, but then you also have to know that, that to sustain someone's attention for an entire script, it's not just about the visual scenes, but how they all kind of work together. Um, so the simple answer to your question is, when I we think I get to read things for pleasure that I want to read, I would even professional right? i look for the professionals of stuff stuff's getting made stuff that sulfur um if you can willingly because i want to get to the end of the script because i have to you've won whether you like it by the end or not that's a rarity um when i was a development exec i had to read every script like from beginning to end and around 30 pages i'm like okay then it became a chore um even with pros, you know it's anybody who can make you go like this fade out, you've won by any means necessary. And it's a combination of all the things you just said and therein lies the art of it, right? How do you play with all these things?
1: Yeah. I know for me when <laughs> I go watch a movie, it's a really good movie if I gotta go to the restroom and I don't go.
2: <laughs> you know? it's, that's exactly right. I think mean, that's how the script works as well.
1: It's it's holding me in my seat in, in some form. Sometimes it's the story and sometimes it's just the characters. You know, I'm just drawn into the characters totally. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and you know, and there's also the subjectivity, like, um, like the really deep character pieces that aren't super plot heavy tends to not be my cup of tea. Like, if, if there's something that's gonna keep me, is any type of a mystery, right? And it can it doesn't have to be what's in the box mystery, or more like how did this guy get here mystery. But within a scene, there's a mystery, you know. Within every three scenes it keeps the mystery going, right? That's always been what's drawn me. But within that paradigm, when you read that with the characters, then you know, you're reading up something that's, that's unique. Um, so, so there are also people who prefer really, you know, but I think for the most part, you want, you want more commercial, so to say, which is tends to be a derivation of a mystery. Love triangle. gonna end up with this guy or that guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, that, that inevitably works, but it has to work on a whole as well.
1: Yeah. I also, um, I'm fascinated and um, I admire anything that I'm watching where it's, a lot of it's filmed in one scene and maybe just very few characters. And the best example I can think of that we just watched, just finished up last week, is this... Uh, Show called the Patient. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, You talk about a suspense thriller. I mean, uh, it, it, you know, it's it's most of it happens. uh, I don't want to give the plot away in case somebody wants to watch it, but you know, you know what I mean. It's most of it's filmed in this one location, two characters, and it seems pretty simple. But man, it keeps you on the edge of your seat. I
2: mean, you want to know what's going to happen to this guy, big time. Yeah. That's not felt to me like a, like a feature that was cut into little pieces. That could have totally worked as a standalone feature. was a, a fun show. That's, yes. Um, no, but by the way, when I say mystery, doesn't, there's some like overt mysteries, but even say something as pedestrian as the real bling ring, right? The mystery can be like, wait, how did this guy go from being this guy to going to prison? And it, it, it's, you have to leave, you have to leave a question open for the audience that they will want to at least give two scenes to. So a mystery is not just a thriller, is what I'm saying. The, 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 the word um, isn't a whodunit. It means give us an excuse to want to turn the page. And any derivation thereof will usually do that. Yeah. And that can work in a character drama as well as it. But so long as you set those things. You, you make people want to know why, what is going to happen next.
1: Yeah. And I think you described it real well too. That you have a character that's this, and then they end up in jail. You know what? That's that's probably going to be our hero. Uh, we want to know what, how he got there, and how's he going to get out of it. And um, I, I, that's always uh, of interest to me. I, now I've heard before that a lot of times directors will take a screenplay and you know the, the <laughs> they basically change it all up and the writer's kind of going, oh no, that's not the vision I had, but uh, what what's really left is the storyline, is the backbone. Um, is that an accurate uh, way to assess uh, what happens to a screenplay in, in the process of being made into a film? It, it,
2: not, not always, with that I, I do think that's sometimes, you know, writers will get rewritten Paint it out that way, but the truth is, what always does happen is the script's going to get rewritten, right? Either by you or by somebody else. Um, and in the feature world, you need a big director gets a movie made because a big director attaches talent, and the talent gets a movie. So uh, you will have to either follow their vision, get get them to a point where they feel okay now I can I can get talent I want with this, or somebody else will. Um, it, it's I think ideally a writer should aim to try to make them as happy as possible so they don't get replaced but inevitably, be people get do get replaced right even very good writers get replaced um sometimes by the director sometimes by the director's writer sometimes by a studio a studio writer that they brought in but uh what's inevitable is that the script will change from when it's written to when it goes and i think that the writer needs to that's that's a big part of the process. It's not writing original material or what you want. It's giving people what they want so that it gets made.
1: Yeah.
2: Or it won't get made, you know?
1: a lot of times when I watch a movie, I see kind of the same actors, maybe the same writers, same people in the credits. Almost like there's, I don't want to say click, but there's kind of a group there. You know, they, they, they kind of stick together. Um, and, I, I can understand why. I mean, if that group made something successful, you know, you don't want to mess with the chemistry too much. Um, is that is that a fair assessment to say that? And if so, you know, how how, how does somebody break into to be part of that group?
2: Well, I, I do think that the first the first year always the toughest, right? Mm-hmm. The breaking ones are the but um. I mean, dude, here is the beautiful thing about. Uh, screenwriting. Uh, all that matters is what you write between fade in and fade out. You know, you can be, you, you can be blind, mute, deaf. If it's great, uh, people will be. What changes is the the access that someone might have versus somebody else. But um, I think a lot of those guys who continuously work all the time. And I read a lot of those guys. Their skill set is at a certain level, and they know how to play the game and they know how it works, uh, and people hire them again. So I, I don't think it's done by design. I think it's a matter of, you know, you have a longer self-life if you learn all those things I just said. And breaking in, the first one is the toughest. So for the first few ones, you have to be better than you're going to be uh, to break in. And after that, you know, if you've done a good enough job, they will hire you again. That's, that's the key rule like you do a good enough job you know you didn't do a good enough job if you don't get hired again i think that's the rule
1: yeah and the process of of getting ideas i'm sure you have ideas that pop in your head all the time and whether they actually make it on paper or not is is a different thing how how does that process work for you and i'll give you an example like uh, i've written some songs i'm a guitar player so i've written some songs and and for me, it starts with the music, like the chord riff. And I'm, I don't consider myself a very good lyric writer. I'm not a poet or anything like that. I wish I was. Um, I, 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 and I love reading lyrics because i was just like, man, how did they come up with that? You know, it's just so awesome and artful and everything. But for me, it's the chord and the progression and it just pops in my head. How does that work for you in the, in the screenwriting process? You know, it's
2: changed over the years. You asked earlier about the books, the books is, is what teaches you this, what the structure is supposed to be is when you're starting the structure is supposed to be. So it allows you to do the outline. I personally used to do an outline and then fill it out. It whatever. I started with four page outlines and I, I'd fill them out. Um, after you've done enough of them, you develop a little bit more of an instinct of what's supposed to happen next. And those, I, I still do outlines, but now they're a little longer and they focus on different things. Because the, you know, what's supposed to happen next. You don't have to, you don't have to focus on that as much, you know? Um, so personally, if you're asking, I do about 10 page outlines, uh, for the features, uh, and, and before that, I used to do shorter outlines that focused on plot.
1: Yeah. And I've heard these, this tool, um, storyboards where you can put stuff on it and you can move it around, you know, important, like story arcs and arcs within arcs and things like that. Do you use any tools or does anybody use tools like that? Or is that old, old school stuff or, uh, I don't even know if that I know
2: people that. who still say they, they use, but they don't physically, I mean, I guess some people do, they're brainstorming, they're working in a group, but mm. more and more, they're doing it digitally now, right? Mm. I that, that type of stuff I think helps a lot when in television, mm. as a feature guy you, you don't have to share anything with anybody. You know, you, you do what works for you. Um, and I'm just one of these, I'm like, I think these 30 page outlines are too much, Mm -hmm. you know, the 20 page outlines I think is pushing it. Um, so to answer your question, I don't use those things. I do know people who do and a lot of where they do is in television, where it is more of a group effort, you know, where you have to keep ideas in mind that you have to run by other people.
1: Hmm. How do you come up with names of your characters?
2: I like to use real people, honestly. I like to use, frankly, my friends. Uh, Just just for shits and giggles, but also you, uh, there's nothing worse than reading a guy named like, you know, Rick Stone, or like, (laughs) It's always it's always like Rick Stone, prison straw. You don't want that. It's, I don't know any Rick Stones, but I know like I know Elliot, you know Jefferson, like less movie names. And the like Jefferson is a bad little bitch. But the second that you start going, you know, it, it just tends to be more true. You can't be real life, is the truth. In in story, in anything, the best we do is give an alternative version of real life that other people didn't see, and that's what we consider great you know yeah
1: did you ever go into any film festivals or any enter any of your uh, uh, scripts into contests or anything like that
2: I didn't as a producer I've, I've been to several film festivals um I, the actual film festival where they show the movie I haven't um done the competitions. no mm.
1: do you from talking to other screenwriters do you is that something you'd recommend um do you have any thoughts on that, even though you haven't been to
2: one? Um, take whatever you can get, right? If you're, if you're at a place where you don't have much access, absolutely do as many of those as you can. Why I suggest for people to move to LA? Because that becomes less important. Because if you work in a business, you're going to inevitably meet people, uh, you know, and if they see that you're working, then inevitably, oh, my cousin's friend's a manager. It becomes, that's why I moved. That's why I recommend people because I think that's invaluable. But if that's not an option, yes, absolutely join everything of no, right? Because there's also a lot of contests that I'm sure out there to make money and might know an assistant at like a third tier agency in the Valley or something. Stay away from those. But the big ones, absolutely join all of them because a lot's a matter of taste. You might want a Disney fellowship and you might get, quarter-finalist on the Nichols. I've, I've heard of this happening. I know people that's happened to me. Yeah. What
1: was it like working at, at Lionsgate Entertainment? what What is the culture like there?
2: Uh, well, it was a, a smaller company when I started, and it had been even smaller then. Because you remember, they bought a company called Artisan. Mm. So it had just grown to be a, 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 um, just a smaller independent studio. I, I genuinely, I loved it. I mean, I, did, uh, I worked for a... Uh, director and his producing partner as well. I I love just the film industry in general because what are you doing? Right? You're reading scripts. You're hiring writers. You're doing notes. Uh, you're seeing, if you're at a place, no, you're seeing talent respond to it. I mean, honestly, what's, I totally, it's a great alternative. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great job for someone who just has some interest in the creative, you know?
1: Yeah. You're... I would imagine you're around a lot of like-minded people is one thing that would make that fun.
2: Very much so, very much so. And I think people, you know, it's so weird because when I was uh, uh, in development, it's like, oh, we want to hire people who want to be executives who want to be, executives. I actually think this has changed a little bit. The best assistants and the best of all, are people who have interest in writing, who have tried writing, who are into it because you see things, you enjoy reading, and you are, look, if you admire something as a writer, it's probably pretty good, right? Um, and so that's think, I, I think I was a pretty good development guy, uh, I got promoted, um, and it was because I very much liked the job. I, like I said, I still read every good script I can get my hands on because it's, good as relative, right? And it's good compared to what? Good compared to what the people who are buying your stuff are reading, so read the stuff and that'll guide you. Um, and if you don't, if you like doing that, you'll eventually learn and do well.
1: So let, let's talk about some of your uh, current and past projects. You're, you're currently um, working on the feature film Blink, correct? Yeah. Well,
2: that's the thing I actually optioned. I actually know that one they, they ended up buying um, a few years ago. That's, they're trying to cast it. You know, they cast it, they'll make it. If they don't, then they'll try to put it together a different way um the thing that i personally i think is t- closest to going is this uh schizophrenic i think has a good chance of going and there's this little movie i didn't put in my bio that uh it's going to get made by some italian directors next year early next year and i think that's what i'm personally the most excited about because frankly man it's film is a director-driven medium and uh I'm working with some directors who I think are going to be very big at some point. And I'm glad we're making this this uh, podcast because I'll let's say there's uh, this Italian trio called T3. And if I'm right, then I can say, I said it many years
1: ago. <laughs> you called the shot right here on yeah. your cron. Well, that's awesome. Awesome to be, be a part of that. Um, yeah, I love that title, Schizophrenic. I mean, you know, that's... that's yeah, so the
2: one that's getting made, I think, is, is a smaller one, it's called... Then was in the dark, but we'll see. If it does well, you'll hear about it. If it doesn't, it just
1: didn't happen. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that, that title, Schizophrenic, uh, it says psychological thriller without, you know, even yeah. going any further than the title. I like that title. And then um, then you worked on Santeria, which was uh, based on an idea from, from J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez. It, How did that yeah, come about? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you
2: what that was. So, this company called Blumhouse is huge now. They've made it huge for all. They made a movie with her. She pitched them an idea, and we did this idea. And she was just going to be a producer on it. Almost got made, um, and then ultimately didn't. Um, but it was very close. And how does that that you say it got
1: very close? What 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 is that thin line usually between something getting made and and something not? It, it, could it be a a whole bunch of different things. Is it money? Is it just maybe one person or several people?
2: Well, with this one, this one had a, it got to the talent meaning there was a production office and there was a director and they, there was production designers. They, it was fully ramped up to go. Um, and uh, there, there might've been some union issues on this or something, but ultimately it uh, got flipped and they decided, yeah, let's just not make it. With bigger movies, almost getting made means you have big talents attached and they have a start date and then something happens. Piece of talent drops out and they have to reattach somebody and then it doesn't get made. But for this movie, it, it was a very, it was a small micro-budget horror movie and it just got flipped. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. I know there's been some projects I've heard about uh, here in Houston that there was one. It was um a football movie. I think it was loosely based on uh the Katy Tiger football team and um you know, it's almost uh, I think came out or was being made the same time that one movie that did get made about the the team in Odessa, the Permian Basin team, but it it never made that's it. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah, it was it was kinda like that, but never got made. But uh it's always been fascinating to me what goes on behind the scenes. You know whether something actually gets made and you see it versus just you know falls apart at some point. Um, and and uh, anything else noteworthy on on any of your other projects? Maybe give us some uh, behind the scenes stuff on on any of these other projects that we mentioned in your in your uh, bio.
2: Um, no, I mean. Revelation is a project that's very close to my heart. That's you know another thing I optioned. Um, there's a very talented director uh, on that as well, uh, and they're they're casting it and trying to get it going. It, it might get made, and you just you just never know with these things, you know.
1: Yeah. So you just keep keep writing and keep going. Where where are you working uh, right now, Ernie? Do you are you independent or are you? Uh, yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, Most writers. Unless you're staff on a television show or in in the staff of some television production, if you're a feature uh, writer, usually independent, and you just get hired on a project by project basis, if you're lucky enough to be hired, yeah. So independent.
1: And are are your plans to to keep living in Los Angeles then? Or
2: yes, yeah, they are. They are.
1: Yeah, because um, there, you know, some other seem to be hot spots. Uh, around the country, Atlanta, Louisiana, Austin, where you know, films are being made, but none of those have ever... Because I know you're from Houston, so uh, at least Austin would bring you back to Texas. You've never had a desire to get back to <laughs> I Texas.
2: I think that there's a lot of production going on in all these cities. Mm-hmm. There's like a lot of stuff being filmed for either rebate, tax rebates, and that tends to engender big crews. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the above the line, so to speak, writer, director, actor, that type of thing. You know, that it's LA, New York to an extent. Um, yeah, I think at least for now in the foreseeable future, I would strongly suggest, especially when you're starting a mid-leveler, get out here, you know, yeah. it makes it easier. Yeah, Get a job in the industry.
1: Yeah, that's where the action is. And you mentioned an Italian company. Um, talk a, a little bit about, Uh, foreign filmmaking is there a lot of crossover there or do they kind of like what you just mentioned here in the united states la is is the hub uh is there a way to break into foreign film being over here
2: that's a good question man i i in my experience i mean most people it's usually the other way around usually foreign filmmakers want to break in here um you know i uh I don't know. I mean, with that one, um, a, a a good film kind of traverses borders. I know filmmakers who are working overseas on stuff because either they speak the language or they're from there. So the answer is yes. To go from here to another country, um, yeah, it, it just tends to, tends to be the other way around.
1: Yeah, because it, it seems to me American films are, are so different than foreign films. And just the whole feel and... Uh, you know having had some film classes in college I learned to appreciate them but uh, if you don't really kind of look uh, if you're if you're used to American films you may not like them just because they're
2: they're different yeah I, yeah I definitely can see that so it's um, a, writer, I mean, a yeah. crossover now I think I, frankly thanks to streaming a big part of it right yeah um, but, but I think that's a lot of uh I think a big part of that is because a lot of foreign filmmakers have looked to the U.S. and they attempt to indoctrinate a lot of the U.S. stuff, and then they add their own flavor to it. And I'm thinking very specifically of the South Korean stuff that is very palatable to American audiences, but has that unique thing that is very representative of either that culture or that style, um i think that's that's how really how you evolve things is by combining these things to be honest I, a lot of my favorite stuff is stuff like that
1: yeah uh, then you mentioned earlier your one of your goals is you'd like to to sell your one of your screenplays to a big production company
2: uh, yeah, to, to a studio or stream that's the goal to a studio or a screen yeah
1: yeah yeah uh what what else uh would you like to accomplish that you'd like to see on your resume? What, what else is in your sights for your career?
2: Um, honestly, I, the big goal is also to work in television. Mm. Um, because I do, A, I like the production aspect, experience of the production aspect. Um, in television is the area where being a producerial writer is a benefit. You know, in features, not really, but in, in TV it is and someone who has no interest in directing, uh, y- you have a little bit more, I think, say, or you either work for other writers in television, and that's something that uh, is in the future for me. You yeah. Know?
1: Have you ever worked with a team of writers? I have not, no. Is that is that something you think you'd like to do or at least try? Absolutely.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of writer friends who've collaborated. i co-wrote stuff. i co-wrote. uh a screenplay we're about to take on spec with a very good writer friend of mine I've done it with others mm-hmm. Sanctuary I wrote with a good friend of mine so yes I, very, I personally very much enjoy working with writers yeah. with other writers
1: yeah and the TV aspect to me anyway it seems like you know if the thing gets legs and takes off I mean, you've, you've got a steady job there for possibly years
2: then and frankly just a lot of the stories that uh, I think are really intriguing people these days require the, the long form way of storytelling,
1: Mm. you know? You know, it's always intrigued me, and maybe you know this just by being in the business and talking to other people, but speaking of TV shows, so I guess, you know, the process is they write a pilot, maybe the pilot, you know, somebody gets it, and you you write the first season or whatever, and then all of a sudden the thing just takes off and it becomes a hit and it's on, you know, the air for seven or eight years. You know, how do you how do you keep that momentum going as a writer coming up with new ideas and keep the characters fresh and keep everything interesting that that process is always. I think
2: I think it works for it's like you have a great first season and then you're like how do we keep this going right. For six or seven seasons, right right and then the goal is to try to make it that yeah but frankly with that I depends on the type of show it is but I think from the very beginning you have to have a sense of where it's going to go it's going to make it's going to feel like you're making things up and people can smell it right yeah
1: um yeah, yeah. I, I, um, not to mention any names, I don't want to upset anybody, but <laughs> kind of a show that it reminded me of that, what you just said is uh, The Walking Dead, because it was on so long and, and the theme sort of started repeating, but I was so into that show when it yeah. started. And, and so after a while you kind of go, you know, I think this show kind of got away from them because it's still good, it's still popular, but but what's
2: the end game in this show, you know? <laughs> when you start feeling that way, you know, that means that you could probably did get away from
1: them. Yeah, uh, interesting. Well, Aranae, I, I really have enjoyed the conversation. It's been fascinating. Um, we have a um, question that we like to ask our guests on Your Crown. It's called a legacy question. And just uh, where, like 100 years from now, somebody's listening to this podcast. Uh, what What would you like to to tell them what uh, memory would you like to leave with them, advice, anything like that along those lines?
2: Yeah, dude, I think, uh, you know, I, I make this joke that if I knew it was gonna take me 15 years, I I, I would have, you know, got, got, gone to Wall Street or something. But the truth of the matter is, I'm glad I didn't know because I'm glad I'm doing this because you fall in love with it more every day. And the reason is because, I still think this is the best job on earth because you have the chance to leave something that a hundred years from now, people, that's the goal, it rarely happens, right? But it's a possibility. uh, And that, how many other jobs have that possibility, right? Authors maybe, to leave something that people will see a hundred years from now. I I, I think that that's, if, if you are into screenwriting, for the right reasons, you will fall in love with it more and more and more for the reason you just asked because it's a way to transcend time if you say something that's unique enough that can do so and you have the ability to do it in this job.
1: Yeah. I think that's so true. I mean, you think about people that were making movies back in the heyday when it was just taken off back in the 30s or,
2: or, or whenever, you know? It's still watch stuff. like something. You walk into to Reagan, and you realize this dude the filmmakers who died, they didn't mean that ages ago. Like that. You're, you've are still got our mental real estate. Yeah. You are living through us because of, you know, like I said, whether that's people's goals or not, it's a possibility, and that's priceless.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's oh, uh, after, um, after we're gone,
2: we, we keep, have to, yeah.
1: yeah. We keep living, so, yeah. Your, your yeah. work keeps on living, yeah.
2: yeah. Well, dude, I can't thank you enough for having me, man.
1: All right, Arne, good luck to you. I look forward to seeing your name on the big, big screen many times over.
2: Little man. And keep doing what you're doing. Love, love your partner. Love, John.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being our guest. Really enjoyed it. You All take right, care. You. Thank you, dude. All right. Bye.